Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we are in Are You Covenanted Part 34. Part 34. Now, let's remember as we've been going through these last few parts that what we're looking at is the idea of covenant. Okay, I'm not going to go back and redo the whole reset on that. But the idea of covenant as being connected with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in the way we keep it. Okay, the relationship between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and how we keep covenant. And that's what Proverbs has been talking about. Now, in the verses in chapter 5, we have taken a bunch of sidetracks that I really believe are critical to our understanding of keeping covenant in those contexts, but they were important sidetracks to kind of flesh out a lot more some of these concepts that are being talked about in chapter 5 here. Starting in verse 1, we had, My son, listen to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, so as to watch over discretion, and your lips guard knowledge. Okay, so we, this was the set. He said, this is where you need to be, and this is what you need to be doing. You need to be listening, and inclining your ear, and watching over, and guarding. What are you doing? You're dealing with wisdom, understanding, discretion, and knowledge. And then this was important to know because there's going to be those and things and items and people that will tempt you away. This is in a, in a uh, sort of a metaphor here. It's the strange woman. The strange woman is that symbol of that which could lure you or tempt you away from the listening, guarding, inclining, and, and watching over that you're supposed to be doing. The distraction or the appealing thing that would appeal to you to go in a different direction, but yet still probably convincing yourself that you're in the right place. It says, verse 3, For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, for in the end she is bitter, excuse me, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of the grave. She does not consider the path of life. Her ways are unstable, you do not know it. Okay, so now, let's deal with that part. So we were told to watch over, to guard, to, to incline, etc. And then we're told and warned about this woman and that we're told about Wormwood. We studied that out a little bit. We talked about the feet going to death and about the feet a little bit. And now we're going to talk about unstable, this idea of being unstable. Because her ways are unstable. Now, we have a teaching series, I'll probably redo it at some point, called Walk in All His Ways. So we have to be careful now with there's a contrast. Just like verse 1 and 2 were being contrasted in the verses that follow 3, 4, 5, 6. This idea of guarding, watching over, etc. He says, to my, my wisdom, my knowledge, my ways, my understanding. But now there's her ways, her understanding, her. We've got to be careful what that is as these things are being compared and contrasted. And we're told that her ways, let's go back to the beginning of it. It says, she does not consider the path of life. So she doesn't give enough consideration to the actual path that leads to life. She's trying to come up with her own way, her own path. That's kind of like the path to life, because if it wasn't, you wouldn't have any interest in it. But close enough is not good enough when it comes to that. You know, if I have you walk from here where I'm standing 10 feet 
and your baby on a slight 18th of an inch off on an angle, you probably won't be messed up too much just going 10 feet. But what if you walk a couple of hundred yards and you're off just by an 18th of an inch or whatever it is. I'm picking some small number. Next thing you know, you'll be far off. But you weren't far off to begin with. And so her ways are going to look not that far off. (laughs) But she doesn't consider the path of life because her steps lay hold of the grave. And all of this is because her ways are unstable. And then we're told, you do not have a relationship with it. It's not about knowledge here as in information. He says, he says, you are not to have a relationship with her unstable ways. So let's talk, look, let's talk about this unstable ways. The Hebrew here is the word na'u, which means to fluctuate, to wander, to be unstable, to move, to stagger. It means to fluctuate, wander, be unstable, to move, to stagger. So think about it. Fluctuate. What does that mean? It means to kind of go back and forth between something. Okay? Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody look at that person in the mirror on a daily basis? Tend to fluctuate. You're one way. Some of you have families that are suffering because you're the head of the family and your children and your spouse are confused because you fluctuate. Maybe not in this room, but maybe somebody listening. I don't know where you are, but I've known families when I counsel them. The reason that they suffer is because the man in charge with the responsibility of leadership has a problem with being unstable. He fluctuates. Okay? It also has the idea of wandering. You cannot be ADHD in Torah observance. (laughs) Hey, you're, whoa, hey, what's over there? Okay, you can't just be going forward and then squirrel, squirrel, okay? Stay, he says, listen, incline, watch over, guard. That keeps you focused. So don't wander. Because that's how we can happen. We can just sort of wander off. And the way you wander off is you found a teaching or, an, or, or somebody said, hey, why don't you come check this out or read this book. And next thing you know, you're starting to wander off. That's not to say you can't read or listen or watch anything. Be careful about it either causing or creating an opportunity for you to wander. Okay? To stray off. To be unstable to move and to stagger. You know what? Some of us sort of are stumbling along, like, like staggering, like a drunk. You know, we kind of stumble in this direction. and then we, Now, stumbling meaning you really don't know what you're doing, so you kind of keep tripping up all the time. That's because you're unstable. And so you're not on solid ground. You're not standing on your feet nice and strong. And stuff, so you kind of, you know, trip over yourself, trip over different things. So being unstable, let's go ahead and read in James a little bit about this idea about being unstable. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We begin right at the beginning of, of James chapter 1. And we also know that James's name wasn't James, Yaakov. Thank you, King Jimmy, for naming him James. Um, Yaakov. We'll begin in verse 1. Yaakov, a servant of Elohim and of the Master Yeshua Messiah, to the 12 tribes who are in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, so this is Yaakov. Who is Yaakov here? Yaakov here is the Nasi. This is Yaakov Hanasi. He's the head of the Jerusalem congregation. He's also the head of the whole body at this point. 
And he's writing to who? Those in the dispersion. Those of the tribe. So he's not writing to Gentiles. And he's not writing to Jews alone. He's only writing to Jews as one of the twelve. So he's writing to those that are not where he is, but are in the scattered dispersion. So this is a message to all of us in the dispersion. We are all still in the diaspora, in the dispersion. He says, my brothers, which I think is a great way to start. He wants to acknowledge that all of us in the dispersion are still his brothers. Which, by the way, was a problem at the time he's writing this, where those in the dispersion were not looked at as brothers to those who were still in the land. But he wants to acknowledge, he says, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. All right, he just derailed and went off the tracks. Count it joy in a trial. Because remember, he's talking to them the fact that they're already out there. Now, I quote this verse a lot, but I don't usually explain the point of the verse, which is he's talking to brethren, to the brethren that are out there in the dispersion who are in already just in that fact in trials. Because they're out in the dispersion. That's the punishment. He says, count it joy when you fall into these various trials, knowing that proving the proving of your belief works endurance. So being out there is supposed to, while we're in the dispersion, it's supposed to strengthen our emunah, our belief. Part of the strengthening is the recognize, the recogniz, uh, recognition, recon, I reckon it's a little hard to say that. Okay. Um, part of it is recognizing that we're in the dispersion because we messed up. We're in the dispersion because of a disobedience problem. Or dispersion because of a lack of trust of Yahweh. A dispersion because we didn't fear him correctly. In the disp- you understand all that? Because we needed to have this perfecting or working of our belief and gaining endurance. Because almost all of the falling apart you read about from Genesis forward is people became impatient so they went off and did whatever they wanted. For lack of patience. There's a reason why Yahweh does not generally answer your prayers immediately. Because it would spoil you and you would never learn patience. And he would not know whether or not if, you, if he made you wait, you would, you would quit and walk in a different direction or you'd wait. Look what happened when Moses was on the mountain. The people gave up on waiting. So here he's saying, look, your trials, and we talked about this in the teaching on... on um, on a lot of the ones, on the, on the baptism of fire, talking about what trials are for. We talked to us about endure and receive the crown of life. Okay, so we have these teachings that cover these things. And he says, but this endurance is there so that you can what? Listen, let the endurance have a perfect work so that you be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Endurance is going to bring about perfection or integrity as we have translated before in the Hebrew when this is in Hebrew in the word tam or tamim having a better idea of being filled with integrity. He says, knowing that the proving of your belief works endurance and that endurance have a perfect work, do what it needs to do in you so that you be filled with integrity and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, wasn't we just talking about wisdom in Proverbs? If any of you lack wisdom... And he told them, listen to my wisdom. He says, my son, listen to my wisdom. Let him ask of Elohim who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. Okay. But remember what it says here. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him go on YouTube and ask anybody that's available. Or Facebook. 
He also doesn't say, do sort of the Ruach thing and just sit back and say, the Ruach is going to show me. He says, let him ask Elohim. So how do we ask of Elohim? Well, how did the people always in Scripture ask of Elohim? They went to the anointed appointees and asked of Elohim. That's the way it always worked. You know, what did people have to... When, when Moses is explaining to his father-in-law what's going on, what did he say to his father-in-law? He says, the people come to me to inquire what Elohim would have for them. Is that the way he explained it? And so that's kind of a role. Not an intermediary, but being a spokesperson. Because you're not going to speak to Elohim face to face. By the way, neither is the anointed appointed, but he's going to be picked and appointed and anointed to have the, the flow through if the anointed appointed could stay out of the middle, can stay out of the way. All right? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of Elohim. By the way, when you're asking of Elohim, you're not asking someone who's been doing this for five minutes or three years or two years. Or, okay? Let's make sure you're asking, go find an anointed appointed. Now, let me get back here. Okay. So you're going to ask of Elohim because he's going to give to you generously without reproach and shall be given to him. Now, listen to starting in verse 6. But he should ask in emunah, in belief, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Does that already sound like unstable? Fluctuating? Staggering? Wandering? Getting knocked around? Blown about? So you have to ask in emunah. Emunah is the understanding that everything is completely in Yah's control. He has it under control. He either causes it or allows it, period. There's nothing outside of his authority, and you ask in that place. No doubting. Now, remember, again, I've said this like a million times for those of you that are already bored. The book that you hold in your hands, if you're holding one, the book that you study, if you do it digitally, I don't care how you do it, that book we call the scriptures, that book is the battle between fear and doubt and belief and understanding and trust. Okay? Emunah versus fear. And he says here, you can't come in here doing these things. If you want, you want wisdom, you can't come in here doubting. You have to come full of emunah. Because if you doubt, you're like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man should not think that he shall receive whatever from the master. You should not think you're actually going to receive whatever from the master if you are not in emunah. You know, the book you have, which is such a blessing that we have one written and is there and you can read it, tells you exactly the formula or the process that you need to go through to have all the things that you're supposed to have or that you want to have. He's telling you here, if you want wisdom, ask. However, you have to ask in emunah. Why emunah? Because what he gives you might not look to you like wisdom. May not look to you like understanding and truth and the way to go, but you don't have the eyes to see it. But you have emunah to trust it. That's the key here. Because if you don't, he says, that man should not think that he shall receive whatever from the master. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, here he's talking about the whole idea of being unstable. Okay, the Greek here is, I'm not even going to pronounce it, I don't know. Okay, the Greek word means unstable. 
But it also means inconsistent or inconstant and restless. So there's another aspect here that, that, that kind of why I said the ADHD thing. It's a restlessness. That's why he's talking about endurance. And in the Greek here he's talking about not being restless. But having shalom, peace, and calmness, and stability. All right? He says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you're going to be unstable in your understanding and in your wisdom, you're going to end up being unstable in all of these things. And so he's telling us very clearly here, you're into dispersion. So I think he's talking to us. I don't think that's a stretch. He says, look, you're going to have trials. And these trials are there to prove your belief, your emunah and work endurance. Because without it, you can ask for wisdom all you want, and you're not going to necessarily get it. He says, because that man, if he asks in a doubting place, he should not think he's going to receive anything from the master. Well, he shouldn't think he's going to receive what he wants. He's going to receive what Yeshua intends us to have, because he's going to find a way to get your attention and fix the problem. But that may not be what you ask for and what you want. Remember, he doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. We just don't always understand that. Because that could be really tough. Do you remember? And I don't have the verse quoted here. But do you remember when Yeshua was with them in the boat? And the wind was blowing, literally tossing them about. And they were not in Emunah. They were flipping out and freaking out. And I always make the point, for those in case you were wondering how, how bad it could have been. These guys, a bunch of them in there were fishermen. <laughs> they were used to rough waters. For them to say, we're perishing, we're going to drown and die, it was pretty rough. Because these are guys that were not afraid to be out on a boat and a, a little bit of rocking of the waves. But it was rough. They were actually afraid they were going to flip over, capsize, drown, etc. And he's there, apparently asleep. Now I don't happen to think he was asleep. He looked at them asleep, but he's, he's paying attention and watching what they're doing, I'm sure. And he's not afraid of anything. And he's, he knows what's going on. And he's in a total place of shalom. He is calm. And he looks at them like, why are you afraid? I'm here. Which is the metaphor for all of us in our lives. Why are you afraid? He's here. Why are you all you know, agitated and freaked out and unstable and, and, and staggering and restless and all this other stuff. He's right here. He's in the midst of you. See, remember the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? How did they react to being thrown into the fire? They had complete emunah. They're like, you want to throw us in the fire? Throw us in. We're not afraid. They go in and guess what? There was one who would look like the Son of Man in the middle of that whole thing with them. Yeshua was there. But he was there in their calmness and not being afraid in their emunah. We can't panic. This is why you have to listen to the fear of Yahweh teaching. Because in order to have this covenanting thing go, let's kind of tie this back into covenanting. For this covenanting thing to work... What is the covenant again? We agreed to do whatever he said, and he said, or whatever he would say ever, and he, he said he'll take us as his people and take care of everything else. Exodus 19. So we have that going on, but we also know that a covenant is an agreement in which there's a specified things that are expected to be done or not done. The thing is, you're going to be unstable 
in doing those things if you're walking in fear and doubt and not in emunah. And you're going to need wisdom because he says here, even James says the same thing we read in Proverbs. Do you think James knew Proverbs? Okay. He says you're going to need wisdom because after talking about trials and that it proves your belief and it works your endurance, he says you're going to need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, hmm, why would he mention wisdom here? He just said that the endurance, etc., is going to bring about you know, a perfect and complete work. But it's going to take wisdom. He says, in order to do all this, you're going to need wisdom. So if you lack it, you better ask for it. But if you're going to ask for it, you better do it in belief, in emunah. Otherwise, he's not going to give you what you ask for. Don't think you're going to get what you ask from the master if you're unstable, if you're a double-minded man. By the way, double-minded. So what's this double-minded thing? It means you're, you have a mind that goes in two different directions. On the one hand, you have a mind towards loving Yah with all your heart and strength and might, etc., and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then you got the other mind that just wants to do whatever you want to do. That's your double mind. The one mind that wants to do the two great commands in their full context, and the other mind that wants what you want. It's not going to work that way. It can't work that way. Because you're demonstrating when you do that that you don't trust him to give you really more blessing than you could have thought of. He says it's not even in man to understand and even conceive of all the blessings that he could pour upon you. But you think you've got it all figured out. So you're going to go and push your agenda. <laughs> That's not wise. We'll put it that way. Let's go to Second Peter. Second Kepha. And we'll go to... Chapter 3. We'll be, read a couple of verses here. Beginning in verse 14. So then, beloved ones, looking forward to this, do your utmost to be found by him in shalom, in peace, spotless and blameless. Okay, let me, let me start with, I've had a couple of conversations about this recently. Okay, Understand this is your requirement to do your utmost. Your requirement is not to be found spotless and blameless. Do you understand the difference? In other words, those of you out there who know how, fall, how much you fall short, and I do, you do, we all do, will sometimes get depressed thinking I'll never make it, he's never going to let me in, I keep falling short. It's not about being blameless and spotless. It's about doing your utmost. I love the way it's worded here by Kepha. He said, do your utmost to be found in shalom. Now, of course, if you're so stressed trying to be spotless and blameless and don't have shalom, you've blown one of the three important pieces here. Take a deep breath. Have faith and trust that he's given you all you need to do what you need to do. He's given you a structure to do it within a community, the context of a body, with leadership, etc., to give counsel. <sighs> Take that breath and then do your utmost the best you can. This is your Deuteronomy 8-2 test. It's never worded that way anywhere. It's something I've sort of coined. But it's the idea of, the, of Deuteronomy 8-2 where he says that he led Israel through the wilderness, and we are Israel, for 40 years we'll call it our lifetime, to test, to see. Well, actually, the first thing it says is to humble. We need to be humbled first. That's a double-minded part. Kill that other mind out of there. You can now have hum your, your humility can be elevated. 
It's hard to be humble when it's still me, me, me. It takes a fullness of humility to let the me, me, me get shut up. Silence. No more me, 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 me. Him, 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 him. Okay? And then be tested to see whether it's in your heart to keep his commands. Are you doing the utmost you can? Are you making the effort? Now remember, some of this is hard for some of you because you come from a background against putting in effort and doing what the church would call works. When everything in scripture is about him wanting to see the amount of effort you would put in, but doing it in peace, no stress. We're not talking about effort where you're laboriously working yourself to death and stressing like crazy. We're talking about putting in the effort to be conscientious. To what? Let's see. How about Proverbs 5? To listen to wisdom, to incline your ear to understanding, to watch over knowledge, to guard what he says. These are not hard, laborious things to do. Okay? They don't take a lot of effort, but it takes a, a mindset. It takes discretion, discernment, wisdom. It's the effort mentally and emotionally, not physically to do these things. He says, do your utmost to be found by him in a place of shalom, blameless and spotless. And reckon the patience of our master as deliverance. So the patience that comes from him. You want patience? What is one of the fruit of the Ruach? Patience. Pray that the Father pour forth his spirit upon you to give you patience. I need that hourly. (laughs) I was going to say daily, but probably a whole lot more than that. Patience. The patience of of Yeshua to be delivered, to, to give you that as deliverance. As also our beloved brother Shaul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. As also in all his letters, speaking in them concerning these things, in which some are hard to understand, Now, bear in mind, let's stop there first. So he's saying that Shaul is saying the same thing as he is saying. That's what he's first saying here. That Shaul is teaching the same point. That we should be doing our utmost to be found in peace and blameless and spotless. He says Paul's teaching the same thing. Because he knows there's a little bit of a rift going on between those in Jerusalem and those not in Jerusalem that are in the churches or the congregations that Paul's working with. And it's only a disconnect by emotion and misunderstanding, not by actuality. The people are causing the disconnect because there's this rift between those born of the circumcision, in other words, those born Jewish, and those born Gentile. And they're trying to maintain this divide instead of, you know, breaching that chasm and sealing it up and then moving forward as one, quote unquote, one new man, so to speak. And so here he's saying, look, Paul is saying, Shaul is saying the same stuff, but there's a problem. And here's the problem. The unstable and the untaught are twisting it to their own destruction. He says, some are hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do also the other scriptures, as they do the scriptures. Let me, let me kind of break this down a little bit. If you are coming out of mainstream Christianity's standard system of instruction, you are grossly untaught. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But you are grossly untaught. What do I mean by that? 
you have no foundation to understand what any of the people in the New Testament are talking about because they have not taught you the foundation in the Tanakh. So you have been grossly untaught. Now that's not your fault. I'm not saying you have not studied. I said you were untaught. There's a difference. You studied. I know you did. Some of you studied massively. But you studied from an, un- from an inadequately instructed position. They didn't tell you the truth about how things were foundationally done coming out of the Genesis through Malachi or Genesis through Second Chronicles, depending on your translation. So you didn't have the framework to know what Paul was talking about, or James, or, or Peter, or anybody, or Yeshua for that matter. You had no framework to understand these things. So being untaught, you would end up, without even trying, twisting or having the things twist on you. Of course you wouldn't understand what you're looking at. It would seem hard and confusing. But how many of you have experienced, and I'm going to use me as an example, this is Try and find some humility in this and not think I'm saying anything of a a pride or ego. But how many of you have found that once I've instructed you on something, all of a sudden what was hard and confusing is no longer hard and confusing? Okay? Because, not because I'm so genius, it's because that's the structure that's supposed to be there. You are supposed to be taught by someone who has been taught. That was the whole process of having Talmudim, disciples. Yeshua selected out students in Talmudim. And then he said, you are my students. And then I'm going to tell you to go out and make students of the nations. Go out there and find others who are interested in learning this and disciple them. But discipling is not just teaching, like you sitting here listening. It's a much more involved and in-depth process. But understand, the point is that it took being taught to unravel that which was twisted Because you came out of her, my people, with a lot of twisted understandings. Not your fault, you studied, but those teaching you gave you filters that made it twisted. Anybody remember, you know, going to like the funny house at the, at the fair and you got the mirrors that make you look skinny or fat or weird and twisted and all that? That's kind of what they did. They hold up this way of reflecting and looking at stuff. So when you look at it, you're not seeing the thing straight. So it's not your fault. So when he says untaught, he's saying not that you didn't study, not that you haven't learned anything, but you're not instructed by the teachers from Ephesians when Paul says that there are fivefold ministries that you need to be looking for. There are five. One of them is called teacher. If you've not learned from one of those people, you are still untaught. Oh, we have the Ruach now and we don't... Okay. Go that way if you want. Good luck. Okay? You will, you will be frustrated. You will, be, you will struggle. Or you'll end up in that double-minded place where you're going to believe the Ruach is approving everything you want to do. Strange how that happens. Because a lot of you know people that are being led just by the Ruach. At least that's what they claim. And I bet you that there's not one of you that thinks every one of them is doing it the same way. So is the Ruach confused? If you know five people who claim to be taught by the Ruach, I I guarantee that those five people are doing most things differently than each one of them. They're not all five doing things the same. Because they're untaught. They say, oh, I'm taught by the Ruach. Well, there's a lot of voices in your head. It's hard to know which one's the Ruach. There's your voice, the loudest one. And it's going to try to convince you it's the Ruach. 
So he says here, look, be careful. He says, our brother Paul, our beloved brother Paul, Shaul, wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, these same things I'm talking about here, Peter's saying. And he said, and also in his letters, speaking of them concerning these things, these matters, in which some are hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable, so not only are they untaught, but they're unstable, they're fluctuating and they're wandering and they're being influenced by the different voices in their head. Hasatan's trying to get them to do one thing. They want to do something different. They're not stable. It takes a lot of stability to find a teacher, choose a teacher, and stick to your teacher. You know why? Because we're all ADHD to some degree, or at least ADD, maybe you're not hyper, but you certainly have attention deficit problems. Because it doesn't take much for you to be watching a teaching and your eye catches on the sidebar. Oh, that looks interesting. How many of you have been in a teaching and with less than 15 minutes into it, let's say it's an hour teaching, you've already clicked on something else because you couldn't just sit there, you were distracted. Okay? Because while you're listening, your eye caught something on the side. Oh, that looks good. I'm not saying you left the teaching complete. Do you? Maybe you paused it and opened it up in another link or whatever, but you get distracted. He says here, this is what happens, and they're untaught, they're unstable, and they twist these things to their own destruction. Destruction meaning that it will ultimately not lead them where they hope to go. Am I making sense here? They're hoping to go to the kingdom, but it takes following it in an instructed, correct way to get there, not in a twisted way. Okay, you need stability. He says they also do this to the scriptures. They do this not just to what Paul says, they do it to everything. By the way, we see this throughout Christianity when they say, well, you don't have, you don't have to eat kosher anymore, and you know, Saturday doesn't have to be, you can do Sunday. Actually, I love the people who say to me, well, you know, we can keep any day. <laughs> so my, I always ask the same thing, and you should do the same thing. Anybody who ever tells, anybody ever do that to you, say, well, I can keep any day? First thing out of your mouth is to say, well, which one are you keeping? Because they're full of it. Oh, did I say that out loud? They're full of it. They're just trying to throw nonsense at you to deflect from the reality. If they really believed it, they'd keep a day. Oh, okay, if that's true, which one do you keep? Oh, well, you know, I don't really, you know. Call them on it. Don't let them just throw that out there. Because you want to argue against, well, no, you can't just do whatever day you want. It has to be Shabbat. No. Before you even get there, first call them out on being hypocrites. Don't throw that at me and you're not keeping anything. Because now you're telling me I have to keep something. I could just do it any day. Fine. So we agree you have to keep something. I think it has to be Shabbat. You think it could be any day. But you prove your belief that you're actually doing it. Call them out. I've yet to, I've called out lots of people, not a one of them keeps anything. They just throw that out there thinking that it's just going to deflect everything. Call them out on it. Okay, but I do it gently. I say, great, which day do you keep? And they look at me like, I wasn't expecting you to ask that. <laughs> I thought you could just argue about Saturday with me again. Because they're ready for that argument. All right. Now, he says, this is important, continuing, you then, remember, he just warned you and said, Shaul's teaching the same thing I am, but those who are unstable, those that are untaught, twist these things. He says, you then, beloved ones, being forewarned, watch, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. What's the opposite of steadfastness? 
unstable, fluctuating, wandering, staggering, restless. He says, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the delusion of lawlessness. Now, he doesn't just say lawlessness. He says the delusion of lawlessness. So he's, he's being very strong here. He's saying, you. You just heard what I said, you. He says, the, he also wants to be careful. He says, beloved ones. He doesn't want to just come in your face. He says, you then. I love you. He says, being warned now, watch out. Lest you fall from your solid, strong foundation. From your base. From your stable place. Listen now, being led away by this thing called the delusion of lawlessness. The delusion of lawlessness, in my opinion, doesn't say it here, is this. It's the delusion that my lawlessness is not lawlessness. Did that, did that confuse anybody? In other words, will you have convinced yourself or the people you're listening to are convincing you that doing something that's against the Torah is okay. It's not breaking it. That's the delusion of lawlessness. Because one would think you're going, but if it's lawless, I'm not lawless. No, the delusion of lawlessness is a, it's an idiomatic phrase. It's a different type of phrase. I'm guessing, it's my guess in the context here that it has to do with you convincing yourself that what you're doing while lawless is okay. That's the delusion. That you're convinced that while you're doing what is against the law, that somehow it's not a problem. That it's okay to do what you're doing. This is your delusion. Okay? He says, but you, he says, verse 18, but grow in the favor. And we know that that means merited favor there. Merit his favor by being steadfast, by doing the things you need to do, by doing your utmost to be in peace and spotless and blameless. Grow in the favor and in the relational knowledge. That knowledge of our Master and Savior, Yeshua Messiah, to Him be esteemed both now and to the day that abides. Amen. These are strong instructions. Now, can you understand that this is all about covenant keeping? You are, gonna, you are going to fail in your covenant keeping if you don't fix the stable problem or the unstable problem. The stability issue in your life. You cannot keep covenant over the long term and be fluctuating and wandering and unstable and staggering about. It can't, it won't work. You have to be steadfast. He says to you here, he says, you have to watch over. You've been warned, you've been forewarned. Watch over lest you shall fall from your own steadfastness being led away. This is really, 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 really critical stuff. So, when he says unstable in all your ways, what is he talking about? Where do you need to be steadfast? I wrote down a few things here. Are you stable relationally? Meaning like, are you stable in your family life? Are you stable with your friends? How's your stableness with your coworkers? Your fellow, how about your fellow covenanted Israelites? Are you fluctuating? Are you wandering about? Are you going after the latest wind of doctrine? When it says tossed about by every wind of doctrine, it's talking about, oh, wow, that sounds great. I'm going to chase after that now. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm going to chase after that now. Are you addicted to new doctrinal understanding crack? Talked about that many times. And you got to get your fix. 
You need a fix? Go to any conference. They sell it right there in the marketplace. Everybody's got a DVD series of New Doctrinal Understanding Crack. Some people come to me asking me about my teachings on some of those subjects, and I go, no, I don't have those. I've got basic, straightforward, fundamental halachic teachings. You don't need new doctrinal understanding crack. You need to get back to the basics, the simplicity of the word, the simplicity that's Yeshua. But are you unstable in your relationships? Are you, are you stable or unstable in how you're applying the two great commands? I mean, that's really, we've had two basic, simple frameworks for life. Our physical life with each other and our spiritual life with our Father and our Messiah. Are you stable in how you're doing that? Or do you kind of, you know, you know hit it hard and then do nothing and hit it hard? And do no, are you, you know, are you consistent? Are you inconsistent? Is your family suffering because you are fluctuating all the time and inconsistent. How are your relationship with your friends because of that? Some of you get frustrated with me because I'm consistently the same and you keep hoping I'll be different. <laughs> Sorry. That, by the way, there are things in your life that do need to change, but that's not fluctuating. You need to actually change them or not change them so you'll be more predictable. It messes people up when you change them for a short term and then go back the other way, and they got used to you the fixed way, and then you go back to the old way. It's confusing. It's unstable. What about spiritually? How's your study life? Now, when I talk about how your study life is, first of all, are you doing it? Somebody actually asked me that yesterday. Like, when do you study? When nobody needs me to be doing anything else. So when all of you finally go to sleep, that's when I study. When the phone's not ringing and the emails aren't coming in. So I do study. I just don't do it when anybody can need me for something. But are you consistent? Are you steadfast in your studying? Are you wandering about listening to winds of doctrine? Who, you list? Who are you listening to? How many different teachers do you have? Now bear in mind, there's a difference between listening to a teaching by somebody and having them as your teacher. You can listen to five different people, but that doesn't make them your teacher. Maybe you don't have one. Maybe that's maybe priority number one. Get yourself a teacher. Because you need somebody to run that stuff by when you listen to five different opinions on something to get that stability back. Because I can't tell you how many times, it's every week, how many times every week I get a phone call or an email, usually a phone call from somebody who is all discombobulated because they listened to somebody teach something that was different than what I taught, and now they're all confused. And I'm like, why do you let these people confuse you like that? And here's the worst part, and I'm not picking on anybody. Because of our human nature, it disturbs our peace and we get upset. We get agitated because we're not emotionally mature enough yet. I'm not picking on anybody. We're not emotionally mature enough yet so that when we do experience these things, we can do it in a calmness going, hmm, that didn't line up. That doesn't seem to match. I need to go and just ask the teacher. Instead, ah, I don't know what to do. I'm all confused. I, think, I heard this and then I heard this and now I don't know what. Shh. Take a deep breath. Calm down. I get these calls every week, by the way. So anybody online thinks I'm talking about you, maybe it was you one of those times, but I get calls every week. Lots of them. Because we are, we are not ready. I think that's the problem. We're not ready to commit to and find and select out a teacher. It's scary. 
to allow that much authority. But in that authority structure, there's freedom, there's shalom. The burden is released. Because the burden only was to find the teacher. The rest of the burden then falls on the teacher. Not that you don't do anything, but as you study now, you have someone to go to to say, I was studying this and I just want to make sure, am I on the right page? And you can do that with peace. And then you can come and ask. So that's your study life. Is your study steady? <laughs> what about your prayer life? Are you unstable in that? Do you pray on a consistent basis? Do you? And by pray, I don't mean just yakking away. You don't need to move your mouth so much. Just go be quiet. How about just sitting still a little bit? Spending just time allowing him to talk to you or just finding that peace for that moment. You know, Yeshua would go. Like we all understand that Yeshua didn't have a problem understanding what the Father wanted, right? He had no problem. But he went off sometimes for a whole day or more and prayed. He would just wander off away from everybody. They didn't know where he went and then he'd come back. Hours. Hours. You know, in the uh, Breslev Chabad, the Breslev Orthodox, they understand something called Hitbaradut, which is this idea of being by yourself in prayer. Instead of just the corporate way that most Jews do it, they'll come into a, a, a setting of a minion, a bunch of men together, or into a synagogue, and they'll pray with the written prayers and that kind of thing. We have this idea of a prayer closet, some guy out of Christianity have all these ideas. How about just sitting quietly for a little bit and letting him sort out your brain? And by the way, if you ever do that, I warn you in advance, the first 10 to 15 minutes don't count. Because in that 10 to 15 minutes, your brain will be just rampantly running in every direction possible because you don't know how to be quiet. So it'll take that much time for your whole mind to calm down. So the first 10 to 15 minutes won't even accomplish anything. It's just getting you ready to accomplish something. Now, as you do it more often, you'll be able to quiet your mind more quickly. I'm not talking anything like, you know, Eastern philosophy here and whatever. I'm just simply saying, just go and be quiet. But that's part of our prayer life. But you know what? I, I don't have time for that. I don't know. How stressed are you? You want some relief from that? Unplug. If for nothing else, you'll benefit from un unplugging for 20, 30 minutes. I mean, just unplug. We are so plugged in and hyper-stimulated. I know, especially if you're ADD, you're way hyper-stimulated because your brain almost needs all that stimulation just so you can focus. But go be quiet. Just go be quiet. What about where you are in the structure? Are you unstable in kind of how you lead or how you follow? Because remember, in this structure, all of us need to do both. We have opportunities to follow. We have opportunities to lead. Everybody but the Father is in the middle. Remember we've taught that before. Everybody but the Father is in the middle. Yeshua said that himself. Right? He leads the body, but he's completely following his Father. So he's in the middle. All of us are in the middle. And how are we unstable in that? Are we fluctuating? Are we wandering? In terms of how we deal with structure within the body. Because we are often very inconsistent. 
how we walk in, in that role and understanding the roles. How about financially? Providing for the family and others and Yah's work. Are you stable in that? Are you unstable in that? With your tithes, your offerings, etc.? Or just providing the needs of your family? I'm not even talking about what you send into ministry. I'm talking about are you able to take care of your family in a consistent, stable way? Because a lot of you are still struggling to get there. I'm not picking on you. I'm trying to say that's a problem that needs to be fixed. Because remember, he talks about being unstable in all your ways. That's why I'm kind of covering these categories. I'm covering areas where you may be suffering from being unstable. You know, in Proverbs chapter 13 and in verse 22. Okay, I just want to read this to you. I'll just quote it here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You guys have trouble making it to the end of the month, not picking on you. But we're supposed to leave an inheritance to our children's children. And a lot of us have more month at the end of the money. That's hard. We're unstable financially. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. And if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household... He has denied the belief and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that's really getting in your face. Shaul just said, if you don't provide for your own, especially your own household, you've denied emunah, and you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. This needs to be a priority, guys. You need, step one, you need to figure out what you don't know so that you can fix the problem. Because a lot of you have been spinning your wheel the same way over and over and over again. You know, like the definition of crazy, right? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Maybe it's time to sit, to, you know what? It's time to man up, get, get humble enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> what did I say a couple of weeks ago? Life's hard and apparently I suck at it. Doesn't mean every aspect of it. But maybe you're really struggling in that area, the area of finances or whatever it is. Let's help try to figure out how to make that become stable, a big stable base for your whole life. Because I promise you, home life will be much better when financial life is stable. Most divorces, most fights, most everything that happens between husband and wives happens over money. Or the stress is because of a lack thereof. So why don't we figure out a way to stabilize that? By the way, you don't have to have a ton of it. I'm not talking about being like any particular standard. Whatever you need to be financially stable. That may be different for different people. Okay? But you should be at a point where if your refrigerator breaks or your car needs work or something else goes wrong, it doesn't like cause tremendous amounts of stress because you can't fix it. That would be a nice place of stability where if something goes wrong, you can handle it. Keep our good friend Murphy out of your house. Murphy's law, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. All right? But Murphy loves to be in your house when you don't have the money to pay for it. When you, when, how many have experienced this? When you've had plenty of money on, in your pocket, Murphy seemed to be not doing a whole lot. But as soon as there was no money in your pocket, he showed up every day. Okay? And some of you whine and complain because as soon as you get some money, something goes wrong. Better that it happened when you had the money than when you didn't. Why are you complaining? That's why Abba helped you get the money so you can handle the thing. And it waited till you had the money. That's good. This is a good thing. Well, it seems like every time I get any money, then something goes wrong. 
better than the other way. Better than it going wrong when you didn't have any money. But are you unstable? How about physically? I know I need to fix this. What, what, how about your eating habits and, and your sleeping habits and the other way, the ways we take care of ourselves? A lot of us do not take care of ourselves very well. And we have such great excuses. I'm so busy, so I have to eat out and I have to do this or I have to just take something faster. You know what? Slow down. Speaking of myself here, slow down. Put down the coffee. I was going to slow down and smell the coffee. Slow down, maybe put down the coffee. <laughs> All right? Slow down, and maybe let's take care of ourselves better so we can be around a little longer and be a little healthier. Because we're not always stable there. And that's sort of the whole diet swing thing, right? Oh, I'm going to get all, I'm going to get in shape, and or I'll join the gym, and I'm going to hit it good, and about three months later, you're not going anymore. You were unstable. Let's find a way to be consistent in taking care of ourselves. Because if you take care of yourself, you can then also take care of others. You know, it's the old, the way I use the airplane model of, Put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your kid is what they always tell you, right? Always put it on yourself first so then you are, you are taken care of so you can take care of the others. Now here's the biggest one, the last one. Are we unstable? And this is going to really go with the covenant more than any of the other ones. Are you unstable emotionally? Because it's the emotions that are going to cause you to be unstable in all the other areas. Okay? You must, if you're going to mature... You must stop letting your emotions drive. Okay? The emotional part of you does not get a license, does not get a go, go to driver's school, okay? Is not allowed to touch the steering wheel ever. I'm not saying don't be emotional. But let your logic and reason and rational part of you drive when you're in that place of joy or sadness or anger, whatever it is. Don't let the emotional side grab the wheel, meaning make decisions. Emotional, emotionally driven decisions or emotion-based decisions are almost always bad, disastrous, okay? So you want to be emotional, that's not a problem. Just as long as you're not letting the emotions drive. Okay? Because when they're driving, nothing good comes out of it, ever. Only sadness and disaster and pain and suffering come from letting your emotions drive. Look at what happened when Peter got all upset when he came after Yeshua. He went to cut off a guy's head. He missed, he cut the ear. But still, he wanted to kill the guy. His emotions were driving. What do you think happened with Judas? It was his emotions driving. Yeshua didn't do the things he'd hoped he did. He didn't do what he, you know, he was not going to be the Messiah the way he pictured him to be. And he was emotionally upset, frustrated, and he was going to do something about it. His emotions were driving. Look what happened to the very first time you see this. You see the emotions happening. You see this with Adam and Chava. Rabbi Tom taught about this. You see with Cain and Abel. All right? Cain had a problem. Yah's talking to him and says, well, hey, if you do things right, won't you be, you know, also in good standing with me? Oh, no. He got, he got so angry and so embarrassed and so upset, he went and killed his brother. Because he let his emotions drive. Now, if he had emotional control, he could have got so angry, so upset, and got motivated to fix it. And taken all that energy and used it productively. Right? He could have. But look at the emotions with Adam and Chava. They messed up. So what do they do? Instead of saying, 
you're right, I messed up and I'm sorry, I own it. No, each one pointed the finger at somebody else. That was the emotion of shame and embarrassment and trying to put up the defenses and point the finger. It's an emotion. Why is King David, Dawid HaMelech, such a high, highly esteemed person in the eyes of Yah, even though he did some awful things, because he didn't do that emotional thing when it got, once he realized he had made a mistake. Now it was his emotional, it was his emotions that caused him to sleep with a woman, not his wife. It was his emotions that caused him to have his, the husband of that wife killed, sent out where he would die. But then when it came down to it, he matured and got his emotions under control and said, my fault. Okay? Because he recognized that he had let his emotions lead and drive and he had made some mistakes. Very costly mistakes. And it cost him some children. And, other, and some of his children made emotional, costly mistakes. As a matter of fact, look through almost all the scripture and almost every bad thing that happens is because somebody let their negative emotions grab the wheel. Look at Joseph and his brothers. The brothers got all, they let their emotions drive and they ended up throwing them in a pit and then selling them into slavery. Okay, don't do that. You need to be stable in your emotions. Okay, this is all part of covenant keeping. You can't keep covenant if you're going to have this instability constantly pulling you and pushing you and having you run in all kinds of directions. The covenant is very simple. Laser focus on his words, his ways, his thoughts. You know, in Proverbs it's talked about, and I will go back to chapter 5 just to kind of, kind of tie this together here. Okay, but back in Proverbs chapter 5, we were reading this from the beginning here where he said, I want you to listen to my wisdom. I want you to incline your ear to my understanding. Focus. He says, I want you to watch over discretion and your lips to guard after knowledge. You need to stay focused, steadfast, stable. Not easy. We don't do these things naturally. Okay? It's not easy. But you are not going to do well in your covenant keeping if you're not going to be stable. Remember, he's talking about here, her ways are unstable in verse 6. That's the way she does things. She just kind of erratically does whatever and is tossed about and is changing minds. Look, I knew a guy who was in leadership within this bigger thing known as Hebrew Roots or whatever you want to call it over the years, over the last 20 years. He's changed his calendar four times. And each time he changed it, he told everybody else how wrong they were until he changed it to whatever it was they told them they were wrong about. And his whole ministry has been unstable. You can't have that. I know family members, like you know, cousins and other, you know, distant families, where their family is in nothing right now, really doesn't hardly keep anything, because the father of the family could never seem to make up his mind where they were supposed to go and how they were supposed to do it. So then the family was unstable because they learned from what they saw. They learn from their experience. And so they imitated and mimicked their, the, the parentage here. What are you teaching those around you by your behavior, your stability or instability? Because people are watching and they're learning. Her ways are unstable. You do not know it. Do not have a relationship with it. 
You know what? I'll even take it from a different direction. He says, her ways are unstable and you don't know it. You don't get it. You don't even see it. You don't recognize that they're unstable. How's that for a different angle for it? Maybe that'll help you understand it. Her ways are unstable and you're not seeing it. I'm trying to tell you what he's saying. Her ways are unstable. They do not accomplish what you want them to accomplish. We'll tie this together and we'll close here with Deuteronomy 10, 12. Because in 10, 12 he says, and now Israel... What is Yahweh your Elohim asking of you but to fear him? Remember we talked about that's where it's got to start. We've got to have his awe, reverence, etc. Focus on him. But to fear Yahweh your Elohim and to walk in all his ways. Because anybody else's ways are unstable and you don't know it. Or they're unstable and you're not to know it. Take it either way. It works both ways. Either they're unstable and you shouldn't even go near it or they're unstable and they don't look unstable to you but they are you need to know they are only his ways are stable his ways lead to the path to the kingdom you're to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your being to guard the commands of Yahweh and his laws which I command you today for your good this is what we have to deal with look this is Moses answering the question that was on everybody's lips well, what does he want from us anyway? <laughs> Some of you have asked that question. You've yelled it up at, the, up at the sky. What do you want from me? He wants you to fear him, to walk in all his ways. When you do that, you'll recognize that he loves you, and that's why he gave you the ways to walk in. Because they bring blessing and stability and peace in the fruit of the Spirit. And so then you'll realize, because he loves you so much, that you actually start to fall in love with him. And not in an emotionally driven way. In a logical, rational driven way. See, we, we don't play any get you all emotional music up here to get you to fall in love with him somehow. Or to reach into your pockets or whatever. That's emotionally driven manipulation. He says, I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to show you. Fear me. Awe and have reverence for me. Walk in my ways and you're going to see that my ways work exactly like I told you they would. And then you'll fall in love with me. And then because of that, you'll want to serve with all your heart and with all your being. That's where it comes from. And that's your process right there. That is the, you want to know what the plan is? That's the plan. That's what he expects of us. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. That's what we need to be doing. And that's all in the context of how do you keep the covenant? You do it this way. You fear him, you walk in his ways, you love him and you serve him. That's keeping covenant. So what are the things that you actually do? Everything that comes out of his mouth. That was the covenant. We agreed to obey his voice, whatever he says. And that's where we are today. Let's go ahead and pray. Avino Malkeno, our father, our king, father, we come before you. And father, we want to be stable. Father, we want to be steadfast. We don't want to fluctuate and wander. Father, we need you to help us to, to fix those things in our lives that are leading us into the delusion of lawlessness where we think we're doing right when we're doing wrong. Father, help us to submit. Help us to find the anointed appointees that you have out there for us. Help us to find those teachers so that we can be taught and not untaught. So that we don't twist things to our own destruction. Father, we just want to incline our ears to your wisdom. We want to, we want to listen to your wisdom and incline our, our, our ears to your, your understanding and to watch over your knowledge and guard with our, our lips to, to only speak your words and your truth. 
All those things that Shalomo was trying to pass on to his children, and we know you were trying to speak to us through him. So, Father, we thank you for the word. Thank you for having it written down for us so that we can access it so easily. Thank you for your patience and your mercy and your compassion on us while we struggle with these things as we try to give and do our utmost in coming into alignment with you by being blameless and spotless. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory and all honor and, th- and just cannot appreciate enough just the the revealing that you do for us to give us the opportunity that we have in our hands help us to not squander it as we really appreciate this moment and this opportunity to start at this moment becoming stable and steadfast and being useful in not only in your hands but to the community so father we want to ask now and thank you for all these things as we always do in the authority of your son our savior yeshua hamashiach amen Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.